0: Welcome to The Sacred Vessel, Part 2, Reclaiming the Soul Lost in Nature. I'm Matthew van der A lot of Jung's application of his understanding of the connection between body and the psyche came from his studies of alchemy. We left Part 1 talking about what happens when there is too much or too little in our connection with the world and how that affects our connection with the body. In this part, we'll start to pick up on that and follow it deeper into how it affects our relationship with ourselves and the world. Enjoy. Loss of body, loss of soul. In each instance, we learn a style of defense that leaves its legacy. When our environment doesn't hold or meet us we learn to hold ourselves typically creating tensions that pull in against the threatened bursting forth of our being when our environment pushes in on us we learn to brace creating a wall of protective tension behind which we may withdraw and in the process our body becomes segmented disconnected and disjointed we create frozen caricatures of the strong, responsive container that we are so much in need of. Without the warmth and responsiveness natural to our bodies, we lose a sensitive relationship with our inner world as well. To the extent that there is no one to hear our story, to receive its natural creative movement out into the world, we lose touch with our sense of inner direction, with the sense of being on a path that is so essential to the health of the human spirit. We have hidden so well from the world that we become hidden from ourselves as well. When the growth of inner life meets up against our wounds, those places where the slings and arrows of life have left us too stiff with scar tissue or fragile to easily change, we resist, experiencing what Jung called a cramp of consciousness. The mind and body cannot allow inner life to move. This is the tension that often brings us to body work, the stress of bracing against stimulus that we are unable to integrate or change. It's my experience that for whatever reasons a person comes to body therapy, somewhere in the depths of their being it's because they feel out of touch with themselves. The presenting symptoms may be a sports injury, or chronic pain from a car accident, or stress of fast-paced life, or perhaps even the lack of feeling at all, but in each case there is a sense of being stuck, or of being pushed in a corner, by the disconnect with our body. There is a loss of the ability to cope with life anymore. What draws us to body therapy in times like these is the instinctive need for touch. The magic in touch lies in its ability to connect. With touch, we feel contact and with it the experience of ourselves and another. We are flooded with a rich flow of sensory stimulus that enlivens our tissues and awakens the sleeping homunculus to renewed experience of self. Full of the neuromuscular experience of now that touch brings, Our bodies are encouraged to release the messages of locked defensive response and allow ourselves to be moved in the moment. Even if what we are moved by is the pain of a wounded body or soul, there is still a reality of experience that balances the pain with a sense of being anchored in the body and connected with the earth of the self. But within the contact of touch resides a dilemma. With touch we not only feel ourselves, we feel another. And so in that contact, our experience of self-identity can be in danger of feeling contaminated with the experience of the other, the feel of too much. And this contamination of self upsets the fragile integrity of our identity and creates a crisis of consciousness on the boundaries of the soul. It awakens the sleeping dragons of body defense and its signature manifestation, resistance. Our tensions, after all, are not there without reason. They may produce pain or restricted movement and a diminished range of feeling, but they are often all we've got. Resistance to penetration, bracing against betrayal of supportive trust. Our tensions have a history and a memory. The touch relationship awakens body awareness. It pushes tensions, fragile containers. How can we let go of that tight shoulder, that held chest? We might flow out into the outer world or be pushed out of the body. But touch just doesn't threaten to soften the tensions that form the container of our identity. It stirs the contents within. We feel more. And feeling more means an increase of message signals. It means the release of increased energy to transport those signals. We need to breathe more to feel more. The body awakens and becomes more energized. And this stimulation of the contents of body awareness is akin to turning up the heat under a pressure cooker. Typically, we can only sustain a certain amount of stimulus before the boundaries of our container become overstressed, especially in areas where we've been wounded or ill formed. We have all had something of this feeling. You may feel the shakiness of the weak spots in your vessel as we ask our banker for a loan or tell our parents we are pregnant, or brittle boundaries may not be strong enough to allow us to feel too much. It may feel too dangerous and in being moved we feel the shaky integrity of self-control give over to the forces of chaos. This feels too much like the wounds inflicted by life and the death of identity that was their threat. We feel the threat of being engulfed by the oceans of inner life and we pull back. Full of the resonance of past experience, we will have a tendency to fall into defensive patterns too deep to control and react in the ways of learned self-protection. Unable to listen to the body at anything more than subsistence levels, it is no wonder that we have limited use of our body's ability to feel out life situations or integrate anything new. New experience leaves too little room for our self-identity, and unable to take in and digest new material, we can only resist it. So in spite of our hunger to connect, instinct protects our sense of integrity by unconsciously holding in and pushing back. It awakens the skills of survival. We hold our breath so that we will not feel too much of this invasion of our space. Or we might collapse and dissociate, drifting up the smoke hole, mistaking our disengaged muscles and collapsed body awareness for relaxation. Often, the little we do allow in a bodywork session is enough. We'll feel a sense of relief when we let down even a little bit. We can relax. We have been taken off task. But sometimes, people will say that it felt like they had only let go one layer of the onion, leaving the hunger for contact untouched, deep inside. The inability to let go of the mindset is a particular problem of parts of our persona with weak integrity. We do not know what it is to fall and be caught, to dissolve and reintegrate again. A world with no fixed points of reference is too chaotic. We feel the stirring of a primitive fear that warns our hard-won consciousness of death through dissolution of being in the primal soup we have so recently emerged from and not without reason. We do not have to look too far to see the effects of the overrunning of consciousness in the lives of the insane or the seemingly irrational ramblings of the inner life of our dreams. We must not underestimate the devastating effect of getting lost in the chaos, Jung tells us, even if we know that it is the sine qua non, that without which there is nothing, of any regeneration of spirit And the personality. Chaos is the primitive face of nature, she who is the beginning and the end of all things, the Tiamat, before the beginning of the world, the Indian goddess Kali, who with equanimity rises out of the river, gives birth to her children, devours them and returns to her natural element. The ocean out of which we arise only to return again. Behind our rational walls, we hold the moving sea as well. We hurry to plug the holes that leak, never acknowledging the force that surges behind, that dissolves our hard-won consciousness so easily when we are shamed, belittled, betrayed. Ancient peoples, the hunters and gatherers, knew her power. In their world, we were specks in the ocean, only here for a little while, our fate after death to be reclaimed to her bosom as wandering spirits or shades in the underworld. But with the development of pastoral societies whose survival depended on a knowledge of the cycles of planting and harvesting came new myths that spoke of a return to the underworld for the purpose of regeneration. And just as the earth held the seed in its dark womb in preparation for the life to spring forth again, So, a new imagination of the human journey arose, we too began to participate in the cycle of renewal. The periodic regeneration of the cosmos constitutes the great hope of traditional societies, Mircea Eliade tells us. The chaos, ritually actualized during the last days of the year, was signified by orgastic excesses of the Saturnalia type, by the reversal of all social order, by the extinguishing of fires, and by the return of the dead. As the role of chaos in cyclical regeneration evolved, the great religious myths of the sacrificial death of the God arose. In Egypt, Osiris is murdered and is awakened again from the underworld to bring new life to the land. In Greece, Persephone is abducted by Hades to the underworld. Her return signifies the renewal of life and seasons. Christ dies on the cross and is buried in a tomb only to rise the promise of salvation celebrated at Easter. This, then, is the regeneration Jung speaks of. The ground substance of chaotic darkness becomes a place of transformative renewal and more it becomes a place for the transformation of consciousness. In Egypt, Eliade says, Following Osiris' example and with his help, the dead are able to transform themselves into souls, that is, into perfectly integrated and hence indestructible spiritual beings. Murdered and dismembered, Osiris was reconstituted by Isis and reanimated by Horus in this way he inaugurated a new mode of existence from a powerless shade he became a person who knows a duly initiated spiritual being with the ascendancy of christianity this view of the regenerative qualities of chaotic darkness would appear to have been lost with the myths of the ancient world and yet in europe and in the middle east a counterpoint to the domination of the light of christ was to rise in the art of alchemy which became a vehicle of expression in our fascination with the secret of regeneration locked in the darkness of matter history remembers alchemy as a fruitless search for a way to transmute base metals into gold but as jung points out stripped of its chemical naivety The philosophy of alchemy shows a continuation of our exploration between the macrocosmic world without and our personal world within that began far back in the prehistory of the world. What distinguishes alchemical thought from the early transformation rituals and shows its contribution to the evolving imagination of human consciousness is that alchemists believe that their secret work was to redeem the soul of life still trapped in nature, helping to complete the work of God's creation. In the vision of alchemy, humanity was not just a servant of the gods, the alchemist became an active partner in the act of redemption. Jung believes that it was this motive that drove the alchemists to persist at their work for well over two millennia without ever producing a hint of gold. But what they did produce was a rich and unparalleled documentation of our relationship with what they called the massa confusa, or chaos of nature, and a detailed description of the opus, the alchemist's ritualized process of working with the unformed consciousness of nature, so as to release the seeds of life within. As a study of the life force in matter, alchemy has much to say about our relationship with the body. Because the concern of the alchemical opus is with the enlivening of the soul and matter, each step of its process provides insight into the way we can bring consciousness into our relationship with our bodies, and the parts of our identity that lie hidden within. Central to the alchemical corpus was the creation of the vas or vessel. Jung tells us that it was the alchemist's belief that the vessel must be well sealed so that what is within may not escape. Without a strong vessel, forces within will not be contained, and the alchemical process of transformation cannot proceed. The alchemist's vessel is an image of our body's boundary of identity. It too must have an integrity that is able to protect what is within from the intrusion and admixture of what is without, as well as to prevent it from escaping. It must hold our identity against the forces of both internal and external life. Like the embryo of life stirring in the womb, the alchemical container holds the sanctity of life, supporting its singular process of creation. In nature, this creative holding is seen in the stolid container of the chrysalis, concealing its secret of transformation. And in the imagination of inner life, it is often in the tomb, or the lead-covered coffin of Osiris, which carries him safely on his journey to the underworld, where the sacred process of death and rebirth can be completed. This is a process the alchemist called the circumambulatio, Described by Jung as a concentration on the center, the place of creative change. When we experience this holding of space, we can create a temenos, or a sacred circle, where the contents of our innermost being can come to play. We can give ourselves a quiet, intern moment to feel the wash and the flow of body experience. And as would happen if we sat quietly in the sun by a forest glade, Gradually, we would see more and more as the forest came to life before us. These experiences of the reality of life within are central to the development of self and to a sense of the meaning of being. In part three, we'll look at how bodywork helps people who have that deep disconnection, those deep wounds from their body to start to recover a body that has got its vessel starting to heal and is moving into relationship. See you then.